Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thanks for making us a part of your day. On the show today, I'm actually, I'm pretty excited. In 35 minutes, we're going to talk with a documentary filmmaker by the name of Daniel Clark. We've tracked him down in Los Angeles, so even if it's still feeling, actually, it feels pretty nice outside right now. But it's not as warm as it is in L.A., so maybe we can, at least for a few minutes, breathe that L.A. air. Just just a li- over the phone line. We'll do that. Stand by your phone in some way. Maybe that'll help. If you feel anything coming out of it that's warmer than what we have in southwestern Ontario, that's L.A. air. And you're welcome. But we're going to talk with Daniel Clark because he and some of his fellow filmmakers who worked on a documentary called Behind the Curve were able to get in amongst a whole bunch of flat earthers. You know about flat earthers. They're the people who believe the world is flat. And you cannot tell them otherwise. And they have big conspiracy theories as to why. And seem to believe, and Daniel has spoken with a number of them, seem to believe that one day, governments everywhere are just going to stand up and say, Yeah, um, we had a thing to tell you today. (laughs) (laughs) You might want to sit down for this. Everybody on Earth sitting down? Okay, here we go. Uh, The world is flat. Earth is flat. Anything you've seen about this round globe? Nope. Not happening. So that's, that's kind of what they believe. He was able to hang out with them and try to figure out what made this kind of belief so catchy. It's not what makes these people tick, but it. why is this caught on? Why is this a great big thing? So that's coming up in about 35 minutes from now. In about an hour from now, we'll talk some harness racing because when the big announcement came out about a whole lot of money being spent by the province to help out horse breeders and a number of people involved in the racing industry, there were two things that happened. One... You had a lot of individuals saying, couldn't that money be spent differently? And then you also had people saying, but but what does this mean? And one of the first answers was, give it a few days, let's see how this shakes out, and then we'll be able to have a better picture of it. Well, we've given it a few days, hopefully we've allowed it to shake itself out, and now we'll try and get that better picture as to where the racing industry sits, certainly in this area. So that's coming up. Plus, we're going to take you through the anatomy of a goal in hockey. We're going to break this right down. We're going to take about six seconds of time and analyze it. And even if you aren't a hockey fan, this is going to give you some insight into how people who do things really, really well tick. And that's coming up as well on the show. But I want to talk about some different provincial money. I want to talk about some money that is being spent, and you're going to hear more about this as the afternoon goes along on 980 CFPL News, because Lini Lambrink, 980 CFPL reporter, has done a report on this, and she's going to have a, a lot of details. But if we go back to what Lini was talking about at noon, Masonville Public School is being given $5.9 million from the province. The Thames Valley District School Board is kicking in another $2.4 million. So by my math, that's $8.5 million. You like to think you could do it a lot with $8.5 million, right? If we said, hey, here's $8.5 million, what would you do? <laughs> I'm in Hawaii, for starters, and then I'll figure out where it is. 
I'll be like all of the NHL and NFL executives and bigwigs. Yeah, when they have to make a decision, they don't just sit at their kitchen table and do it. They go to a warm, tropical place. So first off, I'm off to Hawaii, and then I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do with this $8.5 million. When you are a school board or when you are looking from a provincial standpoint, $8.5 million doesn't buy you a lot. But here's the issue in all of this. We have had a school, Masonville Public School, and I want you to picture this if you've never seen it. There are more students in portables than there are in classrooms in the school. How have we let this get to this point? Well, it just happens. Schools will add portables. You have explosions of population. It's very difficult to balance out where things are going to boom. And in and around Masonville Public School, that's exactly what has taken place. So they are almost twice the number of students for what their capacity should be. Can you imagine that? I mean, we live in Canada, so we have a difficult time talking about capacity because we've got a lot of capacity. We don't have to worry about extra land space. But at Masonville Public School, there's not a lot of space. So all kinds of portables. That means kids are going outside into their classrooms. And immediately you say, you know what, my grandkids do that every day. Or, you know, my kids do that every day. And I don't care. You know, this, this is just a fact of life. Going back, did you not have a class in a portable? I did. It's been a fact of life for a long, long time. But this is where this becomes something to consider, something to think about. We've talked about this before. We've looked at at some schools being just overpopulated. And one of the challenges that schools face actually will come from the province. And it will come from the fact that, let's say you build a new school and you find that it's at capacity right away. Because you've built it in a place where you're going to funnel this new subdivision and that new subdivision. We're very fortunate in this area that we have as much building going on and as many new starts as we going as we have going on in the housing industry. However, we also have challenges in trying to balance out how many people are in schools. And the way that the province works, unless they've changed this very recently, The way that the province works is they want to make sure you have the population. So if you're looking at the old phrase, build it and they will come. No, that's not it. That's not the way the province works. They have show us the people and then we will build it because they've run into problems before. This is going back past governments, but there was a report one time of a school being built in the province of Ontario. And there was supposed to be all kinds of housing to support it. And then all of a sudden that subdivision went whoop and it was gone and there was no housing to support it. And then they had a lot of trouble filling that school and there was a lot of busing, there were a lot of headaches. And so the thinking was right then, yeah, okay, we're not doing that anymore. Show us the population and then we'll build the school. But in doing that, we run into all kinds of issues. The fact that you have schools being built that immediately fill up within the Thames Valley School Board, and then they know they have to plan expansions for years in advance, and they're going to have to change the entire outlook of schools. I can name one school that was built that had a beautiful basketball court in the back, had all kinds of fun areas for the kids to play, and then they had to expand it. Well, you know what bit the dust? The basketball court. 
and all the fun stuff that they had in the backyard. They've tried to balance it out, but it's not the same. Now, the school has more room, but these are the issues that you run into. So we've got a school right now at essentially double the capacity. It brings in the question, you know, how do you balance things out with existing schools? Because this we're talking about as an urban school. You look at rural schools, they don't have enough people in them. Are we still getting to the point that we are going to see a time when we bus kids from urban areas on a more regular basis than happens now, because it happens a little bit, but from urban areas to other towns to go to school because there's a perfectly good school there, but there are no students to attend that school. Meanwhile, this one is bursting. More kids in portables than in the school itself? Why wasn't this addressed earlier? That's the big question that comes up. So we'll have more from Lene Lambrink as that story continues to unfold a little later on in the afternoon. We will talk some London Knights later on. They're up three games to none. Something happened last night that you just don't see. Adam Boquist, a defenseman, scored four goals in a playoff game. It's only happened twice since 1998. So congratulations to Adam Boquist. Adam's great. He's... He is as, you know, as unassuming as any budding superstar. And a lot of hockey players are. They're always really well-grounded. And so after the game, he was asked, when was the last time you scored four goals in a game? And he, he thought about it for a second, and he smiled. And it was almost like he remembered the day. And he said, uh, I think I was age 10. And so it's been a while, but it helped the London Knights to a 3-0 series lead. And we'll get to that in a little later. Uh, we want to talk in a moment. I, you know, the, the Mueller report is something that I've been kind of treating like, I don't know, the Arizona Diamondbacks, where I'll pay attention to the Diamondbacks every once in a while. There's a neat story, but it doesn't necessarily grab me on a daily basis. I don't wake up in the morning saying, I got to find out what's happening with the Arizona Diamondbacks. But in doing a lot of reading over the last couple of days and in doing a lot of listening over the last couple of days, I keep hearing a lot of conspiracy-type theories coming out of the Mueller report and the exoneration of U.S. President Donald Trump with regard to collusion with Russia. And the second part of that, which happens to be, did there, or was there, I guess the best way to say it, was there any obstruction of justice in all of this? And the fact that the Mueller report did not really get to a conclusion on that and instead passed it off to the Attorney General. And that right there has created all kinds of different conspiracy theories. So put aside the flat earthers for just a moment. We'll get to them in about 20 minutes. Next up, let's run down some of the theories that have come out since Sunday, since the Mueller report concluded that there was no collusion between U.S. President Donald Trump and Russia in getting him elected, putting him into the White House, but didn't address obstruction of justice. Maybe we need our tinfoil hats. Is it time? Okay. Let's all get our tinfoil hats during the break. We'll put them on, and then we'll discuss that next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. It might be at least part of a day for tinfoil hats. Did get something from James, and it, maybe I didn't explain well enough what we were going to be talking about at 140, because I love what James says. James says, I believe all cats are squirrels in a fat suit. I believe that too. Huh. 
Uh, and all circles are autistic squares. Give me attention just like the flat earthers. They're doing it for attention. No way anyone actually believes that. Stop giving them attention. Apparently, there are believers in this, and that's what I find fascinating. Um, the other part of it is this is something completely original. It's never been done before. If you want to check things out, you can actually find it on Netflix. It's called Behind the Curve. And that's the documentary that we're going to be talking about in 20 minutes. We'll talk with their director, Daniel Clark. So it's not, we're not talking with flat earthers. We're kind of talking about flat earthers and what has created this movement and where they feel they want it to be headed. And uh, Daniel's fun. So we'll have a good time in about 20 minutes. Uh, Speaking of conspiracy theories, it has been fascinating just to watch what has shaken out of the Mueller report and the conclusion that there was no collusion between U.S. President Donald Trump and Russia during the election that made him president. That's fine. But the question that's come out right away is, why did Robert Mueller not make a call on obstruction of justice charges? You know, this could have been so clean this this could have been clean cut because you had robert Mueller, whose job was what to investigate and then to make a decision right that was it those that was the description of his job hey take a look at this and tell us what you find and make a decision on this that's his job and everything could have been so clean except he left this big door open so he decides yeah No collusion on the Russia thing. Done. Obstruction of justice? (sighs) Yeah, uh, mm, I think I'm going to put this over to Attorney General William Barr. And then he can talk about it. And that is what has left open this door. And walking through the door right now are all kinds of conspiracy theories. So you've got the, the easiest one to bring up which is, hey, this was a witch hunt from the beginning. There is no evidence of anything wrong. Anybody who is kind of taking that side of things is not paying any attention to any allegations connected to people like Stormy Daniels. This is, hey, this was a witch hunt of Donald Trump from the beginning. That's it. And that's my theory. So that's kind of the first one. The number two theory that seems to be popping up is that Robert Mueller maybe didn't want to put Attorney General William Barr into an uncomfortable position. So to have Mueller say, well, here's what I believe, and have it contradict something that someone who was appointed would say, that would that would kind of undermine part of the government. So that's number two, that that's maybe why he pushed things over to the Attorney General. Then you've got, Number three, where you've got certain people who are willing to talk about this and you've got others who aren't. And that just, you know, you name where this goes after that. But the idea that, okay, certain people are not willing to say anything. Well, why? Why why are they not willing to say anything? What has happened? Have there been underlying agreements or, or backroom deals or things like that? So that has bred conspiracy. And then you look at the fact that this is not about Russia in the first place. That this, even though that's what they were checking up on, this was not about 
Russia. This, again, going back to some of this witch hunt stuff. And maybe the most interesting thing is the idea that Robert Mueller didn't rule on this because he wanted to purposefully leave an opening so that the chair of the House Judiciary Committee could keep looking into obstruction of justice charges, where if he had ruled, he would have had to say it. It could have caused things to be a little uncomfortable with the attorney general and part of the government. And so he didn't, but he left this open so that maybe an investigation could continue. Those are the things we've been able to track down in terms of conspiracy type theories regarding the Mueller investigation. So it makes the story continue. All right, Bob, you gave us your theory the other day and your thoughts the other day. Anything changed in the last day or two? Well, yeah, Mueller punted the ball here. Like He, he did. did. You're right. Yeah, he did. I mean, but I, why did he do it? And that's where these conspiracy theories start leaking around. Why do you think he did it? Uh, well, I think uh, this, this coup runs really deep on the Democratic side. And, uh, you know, you got to look at everything here. Firstly... I think he punted it, but it's not out of the ordinary that somebody does that and leaves it into the hand of the DOJ, right? Like, oh, like Barr, right? Like, he, that, that, that happens where they just say, okay, we have this evidence, we're not sure, you look at it. What's interesting, though, is Rosenstein, who hired Mueller, was on the side of Barr. They both agreed after they read the document when it was handed over by Mueller, that there was no obstruction. So they closed it. They just said, yeah, we've looked at it. Mueller left it up to us. We looked at it. Now there's no obstruction. Now remember, they were appointed, those guys. So yeah. they have their jobs by appointment. Like who, who are you referring to here? They're, they're appointed. Bar. So you're, yeah, bar yeah. for sure. Well, that, but that's his decision. Like he, that's, that's his right to, to but, look at but the But the, the thing that creeps in is the bias because he's appointed, right? Well, yeah, but Rosenstein was on the other side, and he agreed with Barr. They both came to a mutual agreement to say, okay, there's really no obstruction here, so they closed the books. Now, now what's really going to get interesting, Mike, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but I've been following this from the only reason there was this, what I do call a witch hunt, was because of the Steele's dossier by Christopher Steele, which was bought and paid for by the Hillary Foundation. It's a made-up document that... Certain people, uh, even uh, that were still under the Obama administration, brought to the FISA court and lied to the FISA court about what this document was and where it came from. Now, the people who were involved in that, this thing goes really deep. This is, I think this is going to go back into the Obama administration. When they start um, peeling the onions off on this FISA warrant and the Steele dossier, you're going to see people start dropping that put this thing in place that the biggest coup in American history to take down a president. This is what's going on here. Believe me. And by the president that you talk about taking down, you're talking with Donald Trump. Absolutely. This, this was a made-up document by a British M-16 agent who had ties to the FBI previously, was giving them information for other things over time. The FBI actually cut ties with them at one point. And then you have uh, uh, Senator McCain, when he was still alive, he sent... He sent one of his uh, uh, staffers to England to pick up this, uh, this dossier, bring it back and disseminate it. It's false information 
because he didn't get along with Trump. You know, they had they were you know. A, a, well, you, you know, just said, Bob, what you're doing is adding to the per the 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 wrinkles and and ripples yeah. of the story that are well, going to come. True, so I look forward to it. it. Bob, thanks for the call. I got to run. All right, Mike, take care. Okay, we got one more call that we can get to before news. And James, it is yours. We got 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Uh, first of all, I think that uh, we you can't trust this when you know he was appointed and he's only releasing part of it. If there is nothing to, I mean, the, the guy you're you're talking to right now is probably one of those. Let Jody Wilson Raybo speak, and then in the same breath, he'd be saying, uh, "Oh yeah, they, we don't need to release the whole Mueller report. We just need to listen to what what." Uh, what what he's now I'm a liberal and you know I'm a big liberal and I say let Jody Ray, Ray, Wilson Raybould speak and I also say release the full Mueller report because until that is released we don't know anything but one thing I thought kind of in the back of my head and here's a conspiracy theory for you what if Mueller is just allowing uh, Barr to put out his version of of uh, events so that he has absolute proof that there is conspiracy to defraud or uh, conspiracy to uh, obstruct justice. I see where you're going. I like, hey, this this takes, let me put that down as number six in terms of conspiracy theories. Because, James, yeah, there, there's, there is so much to this that reads more like a movie script than anything else. And you know what you've outlined? You've outlined something that all governments say they're going to give more of and never do, and that is transparency. Let Jody Wilson-Raybould speak. Let the entire Mueller report come out. That's called transparency, and that's what we never seem to get. James, we've got to run for news. Thanks for the call. Great stuff. You too, bye. Take care. 519-643-2222 if you want to add into the conversation. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. little more tinfoil hat on London Live today. But not like that. You can take off your tinfoil hat. We're finished with the conspiracy theories, but in just about... Four minutes from now, we're going to be in conversation with Daniel J. Clark, and he's a director. And if you think about all the things that have been created, I don't know if you've looked at television series and the comparison between 2019 and, like, 1985. I think, and I'm trying to think of what the exact number is for 85. I know the number of television series that have been created and are running and available right now is just under 500. You couldn't watch all of them. And then you go back to 1985, I think it was 23, where you had actual 23 that were running, and they were contained on the three networks. And that was it. So now we're just under 500. That's a lot. Had to be more than 23. It was like 53. But it was under 100. Now things have ballooned, and they've doubled in like the last five years. So when you go looking for things, it's difficult sometimes to find originality. You find, oh, there's a supernatural show, or, oh, there's a comedy about a neighborhood, and this kind of family doesn't belong in the neighborhood, but there they are. That stuff just gets repeated and repeated and repeated. And it's hard to find something that is out-and-out original. Even when you're doing a documentary. Hard to find something that is out-and-out original. Well, Daniel J. Clark 
has come up with something that's never been done before because they looked into it to see if it had, and they were surprised that it hadn't. The flat earth movement has been out there for a while, and this is not so much a story about flat earthers because if you've seen the world as a round shape for a while, you've seen some of that proof, uh, this is a lot like saying the non-moon landers. Same thing. But the idea that these people who believe the earth is flat or who say the earth is flat have this conviction and pursue it and really have, have kind of taken up a cause and keep getting people to join them, that I find fascinating. And Daniel Clark was one person who was able to get in amongst them and find out exactly what it is that that they're all about. And we'll talk about that next as a piece of kind of original creation because it hasn't ever been talked about in this way before. We'll talk about Behind the Curve next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Just confirmed for Friday on London Live. Do you remember the spoons? Not silver spoons. That was a TV show. That was one of those shows that actually was running for a little while in the 80s that would have gone into that count. Silver spoons. Why am I why am I forgetting the name of the guy on Silver Spoons? And he grew up to be a bunch of other things. Who was that? He was the little blonde guy. Who was that? Don't Google it. We have to remember this. If you remember with your own brain, email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Can't Google that stuff. Got to make your brain work for it. Ricky? Was it Ricky? I don't know if it was a Ricky. All right. Moving right along. Someone will help us out. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Who was the star of Silver Spoons? It was a Ricky, wasn't it? Let's talk about Behind the Curve, which is a documentary that has been created by Daniel J. Clark, and it deals with flat earthers and how people can grab a concept that just seems completely ridiculous and somehow push this movement forward that gets people scratching their heads. We'll see if Daniel at some point was scratching his head. He joins us right now. Daniel, how are things today? Things are very good. It's a very early morning here in Los Angeles. (laughs) Now, you get to live in L.A. What is that like? Does that, as a filmmaker, mean, yes, I'm, I'm at the Mecca, I'm where I'm supposed to be? I think so. I, I find that it's, it's really strange to be in a city where everyone, or mostly everyone, is interested in doing the same thing that you're doing. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity, and it's a lot of uh, good friendships, you know? That's good. I like that you've taken that aspect of it, because I imagine there's also a lot of competition and a lot of people trying to do the same stuff at the same time. Uh, there, there is that, and I'm sure there's, uh, there's a lot more of that going on on the west side, but I live on the east side, but everybody's nice. <laughs> I'll have to remember that. I'm going to write that down. Go to L.A., stay on east side. Okay, travel tips and everything from Daniel Clark, director of Behind the Curve. One thing that we continually look for these days is something we've never seen before. And in a world that keeps coming out with sequels and remakes, sometimes it's difficult to find that. What you have done with Behind the Curve, that's never been done before. Can you kind of lay it out so that we have a full understanding of what this is about? 
Sure. Uh, it's kind of strange that it's never been done before because it's a documentary about people who think the Earth is flat. And uh, the reason we did it is because the movement seemed to be really growing, especially since 2015. And we started noticing it popping up a lot more frequently and people referencing it a lot. And we started looking into it and decided that we were going to follow people who strongly believe that the Earth is flat and that the government is covering up some sort of conspiracy to keep it from us. And so we follow them as they're preparing for an international conference, but also we try to figure out, you know, what their lives are like and what drives them to this belief and what keeps them believing it, even though there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Yeah, like space and uh, curvature <laughs> on the horizon and things like that. But in Little following things. them, were you... Or were you telling them, okay, uh, we're making this documentary, do you want to be a part of it, or did it work in a different way? No, was, uh, the first person I contacted was uh, the man who we follow, I would say that is kind of the central figure to the film, Mark Sargent. Uh, his, he puts his phone number and his address and his email address available on his YouTube videos, so we just contacted him directly. Uh, he gets a lot of media requests kind of like this, but usually from newspapers or, you know, small media outlets and or like local news coverage. And he said, sure, if you're willing to come up, I'll talk to you. So we just went up. He knew we weren't flat earthers. Everybody we talked to knew that we were not flat earthers ourselves and we were just making a movie about the movement and just talked to us openly about what they believed, why they believed it, what their lives are like. It was uh, pretty straightforward, believe it or not. Daniel Clark joining us, director of Behind the Curve, which is a movie that allows Daniel and others to, in a way, infiltrate a flat earthers movement and talk to them and experience, you know, what it is that, that they're doing with their own movement. Daniel, how about when you meet somebody like this? Because of all the things that are beliefs, people can say, I believe in this, and okay, yeah, I, can, I can see that. I believe in this, ah, okay, I can see that. But the Flat Earthers movement, when you meet someone who is a Flat Earther, would you pass them on the street and not know it? Or are they very outspoken and uh, and dedicated to their cause 24 hours a day? Uh, yes and no. The first thing that Mark said to me when we met, aside from hello, was... Uh, the root beer here is really good. So, because we were meeting up for pizza, and he's like, the root beer is really good. So, you know, it's a normal person. They're not just, you know, they're not some, some you know, mythic figure. However, he was wearing a t-shirt that said, Flat Earth Army. So, on one hand, you know, they're, they, we talked about movies, we talked about music, and this goes across the board for pretty much everyone we met. Um, but then also their core belief, something they believe when they look out into the world, is that it's flat and that there's some sort of conspiracy hiding it from us. And some people take this to a much uh, more intense degree than others. Like, some people won't drink tap water um, because it could contain chemicals, who knows what. Um, other people, you know, believe in other conspiracies, but some people just casually believe the Earth is flat. Now, you mentioned that the movement seems to be growing, and that's kind of what caught your eye and, and maybe created a little more of the genesis in behind, behind the curve. How were you noticing that? One of the other producers on the film, Nick Ander, he is on Reddit. I won't say too much, but, you know, enough. And he noticed that a lot of people were talking about Flat Earth, and he kind of thought that it was 
uh, a troll or people are just pretending, you know, that, that sort of, it's kind of maybe the assumption most of us made at the time. But then he saw stories about people talking about their family members who are flat earthers. And I was actually working on a job once where a guy who was I was working with was really into conspiracies, and he, and he was telling me, like, you think I'm bad. There's this guy I met, and he thinks the world is flat. I don't go that far. <laughs> and so, like, we started feeling these really personal connections to it. And, you know, we're documentary filmmakers, and we looked in because we were like, oh, there's got to be a documentary about this. I would, I would want to watch this. And we noticed that there wasn't, and uh seemed like a good subject to, to start up. So, number one message from Flat Earthers has to be that they believe the Earth is flat, but how are they looking to move this movement forward? What are they doing with this belief? Um, well, most of the people we followed were uh, have YouTube channels that are very popular in the Flat Earth community. Um, there is some divide on, you know, some people are more popular than others, but they tend to all have YouTube channels where they do these one to four hour live streams every week, maybe sometimes twice a week. And they have fans. They have people who come up and listen and, you know, do like the live chat thing. And they're kind of just like streamers, but they're all in their, you know, middle age. And they're just uh, spreading the word that way. And I think they have meetups and, they just kind of get together in whatever city and are free to talk about any conspiracy that's on their mind, and it's kind of a no-judgment zone. So it's pretty, it's a pretty welcoming community, and it's a very uh, judgment-free community, too, I would say. But they stream for four hours basically talking about the same thing all the time. It depends on the show, but there, you know, there are some channels that are more scientific, and they do experiments to uh, prove the Earth is flat. And some people just kind of talk about what's happening in the, in the news. So if there was some sort of, uh, like, a big thing that just kind of splashed in the Flat Earth community was this um, kind of, it was, it's not even a new revelation, but NASA, some article was picked up about the moon being within Earth's atmosphere, technically. And so this was picked up by the Flat Earth community to mean, like, oh, they're, they're trying to backtrack space so that it's not so surprising when they finally tell us that the Earth is flat and we're living in a dome. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of that. Like, whatever kind of happens in the news, uh, they'll pick up on that and talk about it at length. And it's very just much, it's, it's very much like any conversation that you would have about politics or anything like that, only it's flat Earth-related, usually. Daniel Clark joining us, director of Behind the Curve, a movie, a documentary about flat earthers. Daniel, at any time during hanging out with any of the people in the flat earth movement, were you questioning your own beliefs? I definitely checked myself. You know, I I came at this with the with the understanding that the earth is not flat, but I did want to make sure that I wasn't um, making a documentary from that point of view that's wrong. So I did a lot of my own research, and, you know, if they brought up a good, interesting point, like, huh, why, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Like, why wouldn't the water, you know, why wouldn't you weigh less at the equator than you do on the poles if the Earth is spinning? Um, so I would do a little research, and I would find information that explained exactly what that was. So uh, I would say I I left myself open to the concept, but there's nothing that convinced me otherwise that the Earth was a globe. Daniel, what do you hope people take away from Behind the Curve? 
Um, the takeaway I hope from behind the curve is that people look at flat Earth as an extreme version of any kind of firmly held belief that has no real basis in scientific evidence or in any kind of uh, tangible evidence, and applies that to other beliefs they may have, and that that ranges from everything from you know your sports team fanaticism to politics to you know your superstitions if you believe in like crystals or essential oils like that's kind of like stuff that if it means something to you you know you're willing to believe it without any kind of real basis in uh you know scientific findings and i think that if you can look inward and at least acknowledge that or see those things in yourself then that's a good thing Best way to find Behind the Curve. Where would you send us? Uh, the most common way people find it is on Netflix. I uh, just got to search for it. And the uh, it's also available on iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play, and some other streaming services if you're into that. Daniel, we really want to thank you for spending some time with us and shedding light on something that is definitely original in our world. Thanks for this. Thank you so much. That is Daniel Clark. Behind the curve, he is the director. So, following around people who have beliefs that you think you can't possibly ground this, and yet, here they go. And, yeah, this could be no more than just a, a club of people who like the color blue. You know, same thing, but the conviction. Where does that come from? Well, that's what they explore, and more. We'll take a break. Up next, we'll let you know what is coming up in hour number two, the anatomy of a hockey goal. We are also going to talk some harness racing and spending over $100 million a year. And we do have some new news that we can continue to follow that may have put the Brexit deal in another new direction. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So here's the latest on Brexit and what is happening. You can head to 980cfpl.ca or globalnews.ca and check this out right now. But 20 minutes or so ago, it was reported that, and this comes from somebody in the UK, a lawmaker, wouldn't give their name, but decent source, it looks like, telling Reuters that British Prime Minister Theresa May will resign as leader if the Brexit deal is approved by Parliament. So she will resign as British Prime Minister if the Brexit deal is approved by Parliament. Sends this in yet another direction. So we'll keep tabs on that story for you as well. We're going to talk harness racing because last week we had the Ontario government saying, hey, We'll give $109 million every year for 19 years. Well, we'll look at where that money is going. But at the time, it was stated, hey, let this shake out and we'll see where it sits in a few days. Well, it's been a few days. So we wanted to follow up on that. So Reg Ash will join us, CEO of Western Fair, and he'll help us to summarize what some of the challenges have been for breeders and for operators in the sport and how things work at Western Fair. So that's coming up. We are also going to get to the anatomy of a hockey goal. Even if you're not a hockey fan, this takes you into the mind of people who perform high-level activities. And... We'll uh, we'll go through six seconds of hockey, but it'll take about two and a half minutes. So that's on the way as well. Baseball season starts, and here, how about this? How about if you had a boss who decided that 
he needed to allow for cell phone breaks during meetings. Meaning if you were sitting down, wait a minute, no, no, okay, everybody stop what you're doing. Look at your phones. Go ahead. Would that sound a little unnecessary? We'll talk about that. Next up, Jacqueline LaBelle with news. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We're going to talk some harness racing in just a couple of minutes because word was we needed to wait a couple of days, let things shake out to see how the announcement from the Ontario government would either change things or assist things going forward. So I marked it down right on this piece of paper right here. Call on this day. And it's this day. And so that's what we've done. And we're going to talk with Reg Ash, CEO of Western Fair. want to thank everybody who took the time to email Ricky Schroeder. If you weren't with us on London Live about 15 minutes ago, I was talking about an announcement that I never really got to. So why don't I finish that too? We have confirmed for Friday the Spoons are going to be on London Live. Remember the Spoons? Romantic Traffic? Great 80s band. They will join us on London Live on Friday. And we'll find out what they've been up to since the 80s, I guess. That's a catchy tune. And so I was I was thinking Silver Spoons while I said the word spoons. And then I couldn't think of the guy who was the star of Silver Spoons, Ricky Schroeder. So here, thank you to Kathy, to Jude, to Donna Jean, to Matt, to Corey, uh, also to Carla, uh, and everybody else who emailed in. Thank you very much for letting me know it was Ricky Schroeder, because that's important. I couldn't think of it, and I could have Googled it, but we've got to stop doing that. You know, we've got to exercise our brains. How many times do we hear that from people? Got to put your brain through a little exercise. Otherwise, who knows what happens? So every time we go to think of something, we got to stop saying, ah, just a second, let me Google that and then find it out. No, got to use our brain. All I could come up with the, was the Ricky. So thank you to everybody else who came up with the rest of it. And one other note, and this is something that I think gets misconstrued a lot in the media We're going to be talking about London Knights hockey in a half hour from now because I want to take you through the anatomy of a goal. Jim Van Horn came up with this idea, and if you wonder what you do between travel and and things like that from one city to another, well, Jim and I sat there with a laptop yesterday, and we broke down a goal that took about six seconds that the Knights scored on Sunday. But Jim was astute enough to notice that all of the players on the ice had been involved. And so he went and talked to each and every one of them about their role in making that goal happen because it went from one end of the ice, puck touching one end of the boards, in behind the London night net, all the way to the other end of the ice and into the net with a breakaway in about six seconds. And nobody fell down and nothing weird happened. This was just a well-executed play by the London Knights. So we'll take you inside the minds of everybody and just see the coordination that actually goes on and what these guys are thinking in a split second. So that comes up in a half hour from now. But it has just been announced that Matthew Kachuk, who used to play for the London Knights, is the recipient of this year's J.R. McCaig Award, which goes to a player and staff member on the Calgary Flames who best exemplify enduring virtues of respect, courtesy, and compassion. And people who do not know Matthew Kachuk are going to hear that and say, wait a minute, Drew Doughty, 
is from London, and he doesn't like Matthew Kachuk, and he said so this week. You know, I don't, I don't know what this is. As much as Matthew Kachuk and Drew Doughty may have this ongoing feud on the ice, you have to know that Matthew Kachuk is the kind of person who understands absolutely everything that he is doing. Absolutely everything. This guy does not do anything by mistake. Everything is on purpose. And away from the game, he's a great guy. So no matter what you think about getting under your skin, he knows that that's a role he can play in the National Hockey League. He knows that that's a role that brings his team success. His team is about to finish first overall in the Western Conference. So picture the London Knights. How's their season been? Oh, it's been a good season. Are they a good team? Yeah, they're a great team. Yeah, well, that's Matthew Kachuk's team now. And he realizes what he has to do to make that team go. So when you hear later on, and you probably will, that he has won an award that deals with virtues of respect, courtesy, and compassion, know that he has those. 519-643-2222. Phone lines are always open on London Live. And Paul, you wanted to talk flat earthers. Hey, Stubby, how you doing? I'm fantastic, and I'm I'm very curious. What do you want to talk about with regard to flat earthers? Well, I just I, I kind of heard you had the director on, and then you went to the next segment, and I thought, oh, you should probably get somebody to call in that maybe supports it and can give you the the viewpoint on the pro side because uh, that sound, sounded kind of negative on his part on why he made that documentary. And I actually called it a mockumentary, not a documentary. Okay, all right. Well, then, hey, the stage is yours. Is that am I to take it that you are a flat earther? Uh, yeah, that that's correct. I, I believe in flat earth. It's something that I did just fell upon me just you know not very long ago, maybe like uh, t- three or four months ago. Uh, it all started with uh, just kind of my observations, uh, physical observations with the moon and sun, and then watching YouTube videos, and really just kind of look, taking a step back and looking at it, and just understanding why it's all being kind of hid and, and uh, being that conspiracy that people call it. Okay, well, I find this fascinating because I, I love when people have differing beliefs and are able to explain them, which you obviously are. So let's let's talk about these observations. What were you noticing? Well, I mean, you just kind of look at uh, uh, aerial shots. You can get up to 120,000 feet in, in the air, and uh, unless you have a, uh, uh, a fisheye lens that, that, uh, that makes the, the earth, the land curved, unless you have that, it's flat. Everything is flat. And the calculation that we're given... Uh, is that per the circumference of the of the Earth, for every three miles, you should have at least six feet of of curve, and that's not being observed anywhere. Uh, there should be a very noticeable curve when you're up that high, and there isn't. Um, it's as simple as that. There's there is no curve. There's no curvature. Okay, well, let me throw this at you then. We've been lucky enough to have Commander Chris Hatfield on the show, and he's a guy who's been in the space station. The astronaut, right? Yeah, and he's he has gone round and round the Earth. He's taken a look at the curvature mm-hmm. of the Earth. He has great pictures of the curvature yeah. of the Earth. How do you look at what he says, having been to the space station, and there's well, evidence, pictorial evidence, of him going up there and having been there? I bought my mom a book that is on her coffee table right now of shots that he took. How do you look at what he says and dispute it? Well, well Stubby, I mean, that, that's going into another level of this whole, whole conspiracy. Uh, it's really, he's part of NASA, and uh, NASA is, does not have the best interests of the people at heart. Uh, that's really what it is. I mean, it's a government agency, and uh, if you ask 9 out of 10 people, has the government ever lied to you? Uh, or 10, out of 10 people, 9 out of 10 will say, yes, they have. And, and NASA is a division of the government. Uh, all space agencies really are. So, hey, God bless uh, Chris, but he's just he's just part of part of the gig, you know, part of the conspiracy. 
Okay. Now, do you believe, and this is the last question I'll ask you, and Paul, again, thanks for yeah. for calling in and, no and talking about this. Um, the last thing I want to know is, do you believe there will come a day, as has been suggested in the, the documentary or mockumentary, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, but do you believe there will come a day when the government stands up and says, you know what, what you've been believing, that the world is a sphere, not true, it is flat, there you go, we, the cat's out of the bag. That's a great question. Uh, what's going to happen is, uh, the, you know, more and more people are coming out of the woodworks and, and, and seeing this, and, and the movement is growing, and they can't stop it. So, um, you know, it's just the next phase in deception is going to happen. And uh, really, I, I don't want to get into what the next phase is, but uh, there, there's going to be another big deception. They need us to believe in space so that they can usher in the next phase of the deception. But really, there is no space. So that, that we know of, that, 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 that we've, been, we've been shown. There is really no space. We cannot get past uh, a certain uh, altitude in our skies. We're prevented by that. We're not designed to go that far. It wasn't created for us. Paul, thanks so much for calling in. Hey, no problem, Stubby. Take care. You too. See, that's uh, there's a great thing about talk radio. Now, don't go saying because you don't believe in something that, wait a minute, what's Paul talking about? Hey, that's what talk radio is for. Present your views. And we'll listen. 519-643-2222. Let's go back to the phones with John. John, how are things? Hey, how about those nights? How about them? Up three games to nine? This is great. Uh, Can't wait till tomorrow night to see what happens. Um, Yeah, I'll never cut anyone up for their beliefs, especially when they're as passionate as your last caller. That would almost be like cutting someone's religious beliefs up. I'd never do that. I'd never do that. However, just want to throw this at you. My son and I, uh, this past Christmas, were down in Florida for a couple weeks, and uh, we're NASCAR fans, so we went over to Daytona, uh, Daytona 500 there, racetrack, and uh, took the whole, almost a whole day tour of that place. Really interesting. We were everywhere there with, uh, you know, someone, the, a guide, and telling us all about it. But one interesting fact that they had when they were doing a rebuild on that for the last number of years, um, the grandstands from turn number four all the way down to turn number one. It's huge. I can't remember how many feet it is or, you know, half mile along there. I can't remember what it is. But they had to take into consideration, and they were out a few inches on just that curvature of the earth because they had a, <laughs> you know, just for that long, long stretch of, uh, of, uh, of the bench, not bench, what's the word I'm looking for, the, uh, the, the stand, grandstand. the grandstands. They had to take into uh, account the curvature of the earth because at one end of the track, uh, it's a little different because of the curvature of the earth at, uh, 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 at the other end of the grandstand. So I thought that was a really interesting. They gave us exactly, you know, a few inches, uh, but it had to be taken into consideration, and they realized it had to be into consideration when they were doing the last part of it. Had they kept going that way, uh, because they were coming from one end into the middles from both ends, and they would have been out. But uh, one of those engineers realized they better take that into consideration, and they found out before it was too late. So it would be... Dead straight right across. And if you look at how big that expanse of space, now around Daytona Motor Speedway is two and a half miles. Yeah, it's a super speedway. You're right, two and a half miles. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's a big, big chunk of land. And you're saying that that was something they actually talk about freely, that they had to... Yeah, that was part of the, the tour. They, the they told us the tour. And when, you know, it is a big chunk of land, but when you take uh, into account the size of the planet, even that little piece then has curvature of the earth that, that affects uh, something that long. 
What is it like to stand at Daytona for anyone who's You know what? Uh, they took us right up. Well, there's a couple things. So we're down on the track. They took us down to between turn three and four. We got out of the sort of little train shuttle they had, and they said, try and walk up those banks. Well, you can't. It's so steep. Really? This, so is, this steep. is where the cars go around. Yeah, and that's why they go so fast, because once they get going around that track, they've got to be a certain speed, of course, to stay up and hug the top. Or uh, Yeah, it was just incredible. I've been to many racetracks. I was the first time to Daytona, and the curves to the banks of those corners is just incredible. The other thing, we went up right at uh, the, the, the uh, start-finish line, but we were up at the top, and I really don't like heights that much. Uh, and they had us up in the top level, but right at sort of, you know, the railing where <laughs> you could jump down to the next level if you were stupid enough to. I was uh, getting butterflies in my stomach just being there. I didn't <laughs> want to look over the edge, and our guide was leaning right against it, and that rail was, you know, maybe up to his waist, not even to his waist. I'm thinking, you know, a big gust of wind, he's going to go over backwards on that thing. But if you're ever down that way, take the tour. It's well worth it. There's a couple of tours. Take the one that's a little more expensive where you get to go everywhere in that track, and it's it's quite a phenomenal tour. Hey, John, thanks for the call. Thanks for sharing that. Have a great day. Makes me want to go to Daytona. Although, remember, you are listening last week. James had the idea. We were talking about what could we bring to London next. He said the Daytona 500. I still want that to happen. I know, I know. We'd have to build a two-and-a-half-mile track, and, and we'd have to obviously, you know, Look out for the curvature of the earth. That's, but, it, you know, in the, in the world of we can't do this whatsoever, that would be great. In February, one weekend, just to have the Daytona 500 and Daytona, Florida weather here. That, that would be better than Groundhog Day. And Groundhog Day is pretty good. Tim, what do you have for us today? Yeah, I just wanted to say that was a great story from your last caller there. It sounds like a fun time for him and his boy, but... Uh... As far as the curvature of the uh, the racetrack, I, I'm calling bluff on that story, and uh, I'd like to see the actual information where uh, where he got this this from. Okay, you know what uh, I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do, Tim. I'm not guaranteeing it will work, but I will put in a call to the Daytona Motor Speedway, and I will try and get a representative on from that or, or from the tour. Could that help? Okay, okay. Well, here, here's – okay, that, that sounds good, but, I mean uh, – Here's my bit of information. Okay. Uh, there's, there's, there's a man named Samuel Robotham. I don't know if any of your callers have mentioned him yet. Haven't heard from him. Okay. Samuel Robotham is a scientist from the early 1900s uh, in England, and I believe he was uh, part of the Royal Society. So he was a good scientist. He was, he was well-known, uh, very rep- reputable. Uh, anyways, he performed an experiment uh, in the uh, Bedford... Uh, uh, channel where he sent a friend of his uh, in a boat in the channel six miles out. Uh, he had a telescope in the water at a set uh, 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 height above the water, and he used the calculations from what were given on the dimensions of Earth, 24,000, uh, you know, some miles in diameter. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a curvature formula. It's eight inches per mile square. So if you use that eight inches per mile square on a six mile uh, uh, run, you should not see anybody uh, who is seven feet or less in your 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 vision of your telescope. Well, Robotham found that his buddy was visible all the way to the end of the channel, and he said that's 
absolutely impossible if Earth is a globe. You, you, he would have went out of view. And it's not a refraction thing. You'll hear a lot of scientists and this guy on the news who's really famous now uh, for supposedly debunking a picture that showed the Chicago skyline from across uh, uh, Lake Michigan on the other side, which is 46 miles. And it's not a refraction issue at all. Because when you're talking refraction, the image that you would see would be flipped upside down. That's what refraction does, similar to what we've been taught about when you see an oasis off in the distance. Well, when you see the refraction from heat, the image is flipped upside down, right? So you don't see that in the picture. Everything is in the right, uh, uh, the, the way it's supposed to be. It's facing upwards. So there's no measure, nobody can measure curvature anywhere. I've talked to people who are uh, engineers of railroads. Nobody calculates for curvature on railroads. Now, when you're calculating out for your steel and you're laying track hundreds and hundreds of miles, if there's curvature, you're going to need more material, okay? Mm-hmm. So none, none of these guys who are, who are building railroads have ever used curvature calculation in their formulas for, uh, for contracts. Okay, Nobody then I have does. I have one last question then because this is something I've never understood. If the Earth was flat, if it was a plane, why aren't people falling off the edges? Okay, so we don't know for sure. Okay, because there's a lot of mystery surrounding what is out at the edge. Uh, there's anybody can do this. Anybody listening to me right now, go to Google and Google maps from the 1400s and earlier. And you're going to see that all of the world explorers from the 1400s and earlier have mapped out a completely different Earth than what we're given today. And this isn't just one or two maps. And we're not talking about just regular people like John Dee. He was, uh, he was a member of the Queen's Court. And uh, Mercator, he was a very, very famous map maker. But shouldn't planes uh, fly into a wall or somehow so lose on, the edge on. of the Earth? I've been on a plane, and I've gone really, really far. Forgive me. I kind of went off track there. Okay. But so so the point is, we can't prove what is out at the edge, right? Because there's something called the Antarctic Treaty, where nobody is allowed to explore there unless you're accompanied by government scientists, okay? And there's like 175 nations are all on board on this, saying nobody can trespass there. But yet, you know... We can't, we can't come to an agreement on trade agreements, and we want to launch missiles at each other, but everyone can agree that no one's allowed to touch foot on the Antarctic. Well, so we people who believe in the flat Earth, we believe that the Antarctic is not actually a continent, but it's a giant ice ring that goes all around the plane of the continent, and it holds the water in. What is on the other side of the ice ring? We don't know. Tim, you have said things I've never heard said before, so thank you for sharing those. I appreciate you listening. Thank you. All right, take care. I didn't think that we would get into a conversation like this. We'll continue the conversation. If you're on hold, please stay on hold. We'll be back in just a minute. This is London Live. We'll still talk about harness racing at some point. I still want to take you through the anatomy of a goal, but I'm fascinated by what I'm hearing right now. We had an interview, if you missed it, last half hour, and it was dealing with a documentary that had been made 
And the documentary dealt with basically talking with flat earthers. It had never been done before. Now we've got a lot of people who have called up saying, hey, here's what I think. And I love you for it. Keep it coming. 519-643-2222. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, this wasn't on the agenda today, but I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by it. We have a number of calls that have come in from people who would label themselves flat earthers. Is that fair? I don't want to say anything that you aren't, but have said, hey, here's what I believe. Here's what I think. We'll talk more about this after news, okay? Uh, John, very quickly, you wanted to add something? Okay, uh, search that uh, Daytona stuff. Mm-hmm. I did one. There's a lot of things on it, but uh, I'll just read you really quick here what it okay. says. I was a little off there, but not much. Throughout the course of the build, the new galvanized steel structure will rise 140 feet high. The length of the new building requires taking into account seven inches worth of the Earth's curvature. At more than 40 million pounds total, it is estimated the Daytona Rising Project will account for 1% of the nation's annual steel output in 2014. Beautiful. Okay. And, and seven inches of Earth's curvature. But there's a ton of sites on there on the engineering of uh, the grandstand. Excellent. John, okay. you've been you've been there. You've taken the tour. I still want to get somebody sure. on oh, and I just, Daytona. Uh, even on the straightaways, it's a 31-degree bank there. That was kind of uh, interesting to walk up, just the straightaways, too. No doubt. I, I appreciate that. All right, John, Have a thanks. good one. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, John has added that. If you have anything to add on our Flat Earth conversation, phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. We'll go away for news. Jacqueline LaBelle is next. We'll continue this conversation. few more things to do on the show as well. It's London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. All right, a little continuing conversation. If you're just joining us on London Live, let's get you caught up. We won't do this too much longer, but I'm fascinated. I really am. I'm fascinated the conviction that I'm hearing and and just the, the fact that we do have people who would call themselves flat earthers who are saying, here's here's what I know and here's what I believe, and I admire you for your conviction. Uh, I'm not being drawn into it. Uh, I am a guy who does believe in space. I'm a guy who does believe that the world is round. But we'll take a couple more calls on this. Did get an email uh, from Al, and Al says, uh, let me find it, uh, flat earthers, anti-vaxxers, 9-11 conspiracies, moon landing. There's always a group that thinks there is a big hidden agenda. Conspiracy stories and theories make for interesting stories, but that's all they are. Stick with science, folks. That's coming from Al. 519-643-2222. couple more minutes on this because I, I think we've almost reached the point where, where we've illustrated what it is and the fact that this is maybe wider spread than certainly I had thought. 519-643-2222. Carl, thanks for hanging on. What side of the debate are you on? Well, I'm on the side of science. Uh, I think if possible you should maybe try to get Commander Hatfield on the show uh, just to to talk about his experience from the International Space Station. Good I've idea. Seen space, I've seen space launches so many times. My husband and I bought a place about five years ago in Daytona Beach. I've seen lots of space launches. And, you know, the caller a while back who said that it was all conspiracy from the government about NASA, etc. I respect him and have his beliefs, but he's, I, I don't in the least bit agree with him. It, it's just, there's so many pictures from... It's just implausible in my mind that the Earth is flat. And uh, Carl, you're you're a great example here because you say you lived in Florida and you weren't just watching space launches on TV. Did you actually go to one? 
Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen uh, half a dozen space launches. In person with the rocket, the shuttle right there. Up, up it goes, the booster rockets fall away. You've seen this with your own eyes. Well, I did see one space shuttle launch, and then I've seen a lot of the uh, the Falcon launches of satellites, etc. Right. They, they happen once a month or so, but I was lucky enough to see a space shuttle launch, uh, one of their last ones. What is that like? Oh, it's cool, uh, especially the space shuttle. The, the smaller rockets, and eh, they're not as exciting, but the space shuttle launch, I was about, I don't know, five or six miles away at least, and you can actually feel it on your chest when it gets when it gets to a certain height. You can actually feel it. It's great to see, but you can feel it too. So not even a takeoff. You're feeling this after that. Well, yeah, I guess it takes a little while once it gets high enough and the sound waves hit you. But the sound waves are physically hitting you, amazing, even for miles miles away. And Daytona, we also we lived in Daytona. We live in Daytona or go there occasionally. And you're talking about going to the the race, the Daytona 500. I'm not into NASCAR, but I thought, oh, I better go since we live there. And it was so much fun. Um, basically, you're allowed to take your own drinks with you and snacks, and so you can just people watch. I mean, sure, the cars were interesting, but it was more fun to watch all the people in the stands <laughs> getting, getting progressively drunk. Uh, Carl, thanks so much for calling and adding that today. That's fantastic. Bye-bye. All right, take care. So and it it adds it adds to it, and again, I'm not going to be swung one way or the other, but I I'm just I'm I'm very intrigued by some of the things that have been said on London Live today. All right, Tim, we'll give you a chance. We'll give you 30 seconds to add uh, a little bit more on this, and then we're going to close the case on all of this. Okay, real quick. Yep, we've all we've all seen the space shuttle go up. We've seen rockets go up. Mm-hmm. But that's all we see. That's all we see. That's all he's seen. The caller before. That's all you've seen. That's all I've seen. That's all the people at NASA, all, all the workers there. That's all they've ever seen. We see it on a screen. Our whole world is given to us on television. But wait a minute. Carl now. has been there. Carl, that's why I wanted to make Carl? sure Carl had seen it with his own eyes. And he said, yes, he had. He'd seen a space shuttle okay. launch okay. with his own eyes. My, Felt it in his chest. Right. My mom was there. My mom saw a space shuttle take off. But guess what? That didn't prove to her that the Earth was round by any means. She saw a rocket go up in the air and then... If you see all the footage on YouTube of the rockets, what do they do? They don't go straight up into space. They curve out over the ocean. But that's another story. Okay. Investigate that. The other uh, guy I, uh, I wanted to mention earlier in my phone call of a real science experiment, because this is what we got to talk about, real science, because there has been three, exp- three experiments done in the last 100 years that uh, were supposed to prove that Earth was a ball. And all three experiments actually proved that Earth has no curvature, and the Earth doesn't move. The other people I want you to look up online, people, if you're actually looking into this, is the Michelson-Morley experiment. These two guys were ballers. They're ball earthers, and they set out to prove that flat Earth was bunk. And guess what? Three times they performed this experiment, and they found that there was no parallax in the stars. And that's, you have to research parallax, but that just basically means that the stars, the sun, and the moon are moving around above us, and the Earth is stationary. Okay, and I will look this up. Michael St. Morley, you said? No, no. Michelson. Michelson and, Mor- and Morley. Okay. Yeah. Michelson and, and Morley. And one quick, just food for thought, guys. Okay? We're told that space is a complete vacuum, correct? That's what I've heard. Okay. So if space is a complete vacuum, how do we have any... Uh, well, for one, how do we have any atmosphere still inside the Earth unless there's a solid 
uh, uh, barrier between space and Earth, holding our atmosphere in. Because if, if anybody knows anything about gravity, and I know you're not going to give me the time to explain this, but gravity is not... Gravity, the gravity explanation is bunk. It does not work. And anyone who knows science knows what I'm talking about. Gravity cannot hold in our atmosphere. So just think about that for a minute. You've got a complete void in space of no atmosphere and full-on atmosphere here in, in, in our environment. Tim, what my science knowledge stops in, in high school, so I'm not anybody who's able to bunk, debunk, rebunk, or any of those bunks. But brother, thanks, thanks my, for my all brother. of that. I'm going to look up Michelson and Morley. I'll watch that tonight. We can always learn, my friend. That's it. I love learning. Tim, thanks for the call. Thank you. All right, we got to move on. If you're on hold, thank you. Email me, Mike, at 980cfpl.ca. And, uh, yeah, I didn't expect this conversation to go in the direction it did. Beauty of talk radio. Up next, we will talk about the anatomy of a goal. And even if you aren't a hockey fan, this this is something to listen to because you've got high-level performers at anything. And it's always really interesting to get to know high-level performers. It doesn't matter whether you are a mathematician or you are a chemist or you're an actor or it doesn't matter what it is. But when you do something at a high level, the way your brain is able to work is really intriguing and will take you through basically six seconds but we're going to spread this out over a couple of minutes and give you the analysis of what was happening when as the London Knights took a little black disc, a puck, from one end of the ice to the other and ended scoring on a breakaway. It's next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Playoffs are underway in the OHL. The London Knights are up three games to none. They can wrap things up in Windsor tomorrow if need be. Should Windsor win tomorrow, there would be a game five on Friday night. So don't forget about that. If need be, there would be a game on Friday night. That would be a 7.30 start time at Budweiser Gardens. We do a, a podcast, Jake Jeffrey and I, each and every week. And if you are an OHL fan or if you're a hockey fan, um, check it out. And you can find it on Curious Cast or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. And we were doing some research this week, and one of the things that we look into was teams coming back from 3 nothing deficits. And it's only happened four times in the Ontario Hockey League, but there are some wild stories in, well, at least one of them. One of them, one of them was the first one that ever happened. It was almost like it, it was planned, but it wasn't. Ottawa 67s are up or down three games to nothing to the Oshawa Generals, and the Generals are winning game four. 5-4, so they're ahead. Less than a minute to go. In fact, about 27 seconds to go. Dean Morton, who's now an official in the National Hockey League, was also a pretty good hockey player. He was playing for the uh, Oshawa Generals and turned to pass the puck in his own zone with less than half a minute left and put it in his own net. And that tied the game. And then Ottawa won in overtime. And then they won game five. And then they won, and then they won game seven. And they ended up winning the series. First team to come back from a 3 nothing deficit. That's never been done in the NBA. But wild things will happen. So we outline a few wild things on around the OHL this week in the playoffs. Last night, Adam Boquist, a defenseman, scored four goals. 
That's only ever happened one other time since 1998. And 1998, I guess, one day will probably be called the modern era in the OHL because no one has really made all the statistics other than you know goals, assists, and points. No one's really broken down all of the games before 1998, and I think I know why. The OHL's website allows for 20 teams, and I think they just stick with that template, and you'd have to go back and change a lot of stuff in order to go earlier. I hope they do someday because it would be well worth it. But since 1998, got to thank Jeffrey Brando and Guelph for finding this out. Uh, Only one other defenseman has scored four goals in the playoffs. That was Vince Dunn, who now plays for the St. Louis Blues. But I want to take you through one goal in particular because I don't know if you've ever played sports with someone who has played at a really high level. Like you play in a charity softball game and you play against somebody who really knows what they're doing and how easy they make it look. Hockey is one of those great sports because if you have somebody who knows what they're doing, you can be racing all over the ice. They take two strides and they're where you should have been only you took a 7,000-meter path to get there, and they strided twice. So that's that's just kind of the thing that happens. But to hear how high-level individuals interpret things is pretty neat. Last night, Jim Van Horn had this idea because on Sunday, when the Knights scored their very first goal of the game, it was scored on a breakaway. So you'd notice that. You'd notice that a guy is in all by himself, and he scores. What it took to get the puck to that point was pretty incredible when you break it all down. Jim had noticed that everybody on the ice had touched the puck. So we created a breakdown of the goal. And here is that breakdown that goes from one end of the rink to the other and ended in a breakaway by Nathan Dunkley. You get the perspective each of each player involved on what he had to do to make it happen. So Joey Keane... Paul Cotter, Riley Coombe, Matt Vaguskov, and then Nathan Dunkley. And you also get some analysis from 980 CFPL's Jim Van Horn. Immediately you see the touch pass from Guskov, which was impressive. But then you go back and you look at the play, and it's one of those classic good defense makes scoring chances because it starts with Joey Keane and all five guys on the ice get involved. Stevenson will tap that in behind the London Knight net. Joey Keane holds his position and knocks the puck behind the net. I just saw the puck coming around and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to get a clean look on it. So I just decided to take the body and... uh, then the puck just went through, and I think uh, the next guy got their guy against the boards as well. Cotter against D'Amico. Cotter, recognizing that he's got good position on his guy, just holds his ground. Gator did a great job um, pinning his guy, and um, you know, good defense leads to good offense. So I kind of nudged my guy a bit, make sure that uh, you know he couldn't touch a puck. So that the puck squirts loose. For Riley Coombe. And now Riley Coombe swoops in, takes the puck, and gets it into center. Riley Coombe has to read that play uh, and pick up the puck and know that he can turn around and make his, with his head up, make that pass, that there's no pressure on him. And maybe even Coy has a chance to yell, clear, you're clean, you're clean, but his read is crucial. I just uh, saw the puck squirt out. I left in front of the net to grab the puck. I picked my head up and I saw both uh, Goose and Dunks just wheeling up. So I went up and I just waited for the passing lane to open. Then I fed it over to Goose. and Fed off a stick. Hits Goose Goff, who uh, recognizes that 
Dunkley is broken uh, between the defense, and so his touch pass sends Dunkley in all alone. It's a playoff, and uh, everybody should do their work. Like everybody should help each other, and that was a really great um, defensive play. Then we made we made a really good breakaway. Goose kind of just tapped ahead of me, and uh, I was in all alone. And- just kind of took care of it from there. Dunkley has a breakaway. In deep scores! Nathan Dunkley! And then the finish, a beautiful deke, a forehand, backhand through the legs. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that one little thing leads to another little thing. And if you put all the passes and all the reads together, you can have a chance to scoring chance. And the puck goes from behind the Knights net to in the Windsor net in about, I want to say, six or seven seconds. The anatomy of a goal. Jim Van Horn... Joey Keane, Paul Cotter, Riley Coombe, Matt Vaguskov to Nathan Dunkney went boop, 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 boop through all those guys, and it winds up in a breakaway. And one of the reasons why the Knights are as successful as they are, just that understanding, just the, the hockey IQ that you have to have to play in their system, to do those things, to be successful. They are up three games to none in the Windsor Spitfires. We'll have game five tomorrow. We also have the opening of... Blue Jays season. The Toronto Blue Jays take on the Detroit Tigers, and we'll have that in the afternoon beginning at 3 o'clock, and then the night's game will follow the Jays and the Tigers. We'll take a quick break. Back with one more story, and it comes from Florida. Next, this is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. Okay, one more story before we close out London Live today. This one has a headline dealing with pulled pork, but the story is not about pulled pork. It's about impeccable timing. There were two people in Florida, Roberta and actually, no, was, let me, let me just get this straight. There's one person in Florida, Roberta, who had made a whole bunch of pulled pork for herself, but she lives alone and she had too much pulled pork. So she ended up calling friends of hers, not very far away. And Carl, one of the friends, answered the phone. And Roberta said, and this isn't a joke, would you like some pulled pork? I have a lot of pulled pork. And as they were having that conversation about pulled pork, Carl collapsed. And she could hear him hit the ground. And so because they had been on the phone, she knew something was up. She yelled through the phone. Uh, She called 911 and told them that she thought something bad had happened. And then she got in her car and immediately drove over to Carl's house. And the uh, the uh, paramedics got there. And, in fact, Carl had fallen. Uh, he was unconscious. He wasn't breathing. She got over, started performing CPR. The paramedics came over. They continued CPR. And Carl is going to be okay. Had Roberta not called to offer him some pulled pork, who knows what would have happened? Saved his life. So what's the moral of the story here? If you have leftovers that you can't eat, make sure you call a friend? I I don't know. It's got to be something like that. It worked out in this case very, very well for a guy named Carl in Florida. Coming up, we have news with Jacqueline LaBelle. We'll have details, and we talked about this off the start of the show, about... Masonville Public School, and you've been hearing little snippets, Leanie Lambrink has some reports on what is happening there and why it's happening. And it's pretty fascinating stuff. 
We want to thank Matt McKinnis for all of his help today. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 681 Cliff Road South in London. You are listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.